0: Hey, the extra hour of sleep was nice last night, right? I think we can work that out every weekend. <laughs> I, was just, I noticed this morning at the 930 service, it was a lot fuller. And I think a lot of our 11 o'clockers said, hey, extra hour, chiefs are on the 12th. Um, <laughs> our series is called I Follow. And we're looking at the, 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 the quintessential steps of following Jesus i got to tell you something. This is inside stuff. When I began to pitch this to the creative team and the worship team and tell them what I wanted to do in this series, the challenge was with the title, I Follow. You know, because of social media today, the word follow doesn't quite mean what it used to mean. A lot of us follow people that we really don't care a whole lot about. So we, 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 we kicked it around for a little while, and in the discussion room was, is there another word that we could use for follow? But at the end of the day, we, we decided, no, we're going to stay with I Follow because follow is the word the Bible uses. But I want us to understand that following Jesus is not like following someone on social media. And so as I, was, as I was sharing what I wanted to do in this series, you'll notice that in the sermon bumper there are words like, I deserve, I demand, I expect. Those are the words that our world uses about life. But we said we are followers of Jesus Christ. And in order to communicate what I felt like needed to be communicated, I said, before we built the graphic, I said, I want a lowercase i, because that is what it means to follow Jesus. I is always lowercase. And unfortunately, in American Christianity today, there's a feeling that we can follow Jesus, but follow is in lowercase, and the I is in, it's in unseals, it, it's, in, it's in capital letters. Well, our journey has taken us through several steps of what it means to follow Jesus. I wanted to start at the very base, the very bottom, I follow, because, uh, I follow, which is I believe, because that is how you become a member of Christ's family. And then week two was I testify, because as soon as you know Jesus Christ, it's very natural to share it, first of all, by believer's baptism. And then secondly, through sharing your testimony, sharing your story verbally or or through writing. And then week three was on the church. I plug in. Jesus invented the church. It wasn't invented by human beings. It was invented by our, our God. And then a message on prayer. I talk to God. And every time I say those words, I just think about how huge they are. I With all my flawed brokenness and tiny insignificance, I talk to God. Last week, Jonathan brought a great message called, I listen. Because in following Jesus, it's so important to listen. In fact, the two topics that are closest together are the I listen that Jonathan talked about last week and the one that I'm about to bring to you. The reason I started the message where I did and talking about I being lowercase is today's today's message could be a deal breaker. It could be that someone will say, well, I was interested in following Jesus until I heard Mark today. And now I've decided I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. That's one thing I always try to do whenever I talk is I try to be academically honest. And today, when I tell you the title of the message, some of you could say, well, I was fine with following Jesus up till now. But now I think I'm going to have to rethink this. Today's title is I, lowercase, I obey Now, I want to be real quick on something. It's not our obedience that saves us. We took care of that in week one. Salvation is through believing, but I've got to be honest with you about something. The idea of believing in Jesus and having no desire to follow him are incongruous. It it doesn't even make sense. It's it's incoherent. Now, when I say that I obey, I want to make it real real clear. I fail at that all the time. I, I don't have one whole single day that I don't fail at obeying Jesus. So when I say I don't want to give you the idea that you have to have perfect obedience and that within itself is incoherent with I believe. I'm just saying that a person who has no heart to follow Jesus, no desire, that wouldn't even make sense. I mean, what would believing mean in that situation? Why would you believe on Jesus? What would you believe on him for? It is interesting to me as I study the Bible, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I am a Bible student and I stay in the Bible a lot. I mean, every day of my life I'm, I'm in the Bible. And one of the things that I notice over and over and over in the scriptures is that when God presents going to heaven versus going to hell, following Jesus versus not following Jesus, he often uses the metaphor of a road. That's all the way through scripture. And it's interesting to me that when the Bible talks about sin, it's not like... A lot of us grew up in religion where there's like a list of sins, and these are sort of like boxes we check. This is sin, this is sin, this is not sin. Well, that's legit, but that's not what sin is by definition. When the Bible defines sin, it uses one of these road or path metaphors. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, which is written 750 years before Jesus was born, it's written like someone is standing at the foot of the cross and looking up watching Jesus dying. It's one of the most unique prophecies in the Bible. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed is that some of my Jewish friends will leave Isaiah 53 out because it's so clearly talking about Jesus. Well, the writer of Isaiah, Isaiah, who wrote this chapter, wrote, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. So if you want to know what sin is, that's sin. It's me following my path. You know what's ironic about that new spring? And those of you watching on television, watching online... A lot of us think that's good. You know, if someone asks why we do something, well, it's like, well, this is just how I roll. This is how I do things. And yet the Bible says that's the definition of sin. All of us have left God's path to follow our own. That is is as clear a definition of sin as I know in the Bible. And just in case anyone has a doubt, look at the next line. The Bible says, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what the you, you ever come across the word iniquity in the Bible? That's a word we probably haven't used thirty-five times this week. You know what iniquity means? It means crookedness. It means traveling a crooked path. So when the Bible tells us that the iniquities of our lives were laid on Christ, it means the crooked path that we've taken. Now, here's another verse in the Bible that talks about the choice in terms of a road, and this is Jesus himself. Jesus said, the highway to hell, by the way, some of you can remember a song with that name back in the 80s. You didn't know this in the Bible. Jesus said, the highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way, but the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow. So you, you see what I'm saying? It would make no sense at all to say... I believe in Jesus Christ, but I have no desire to obey him. If I am to be a f- true follower, true follower of Jesus, even though I fail at it all the time, it is my heart to say oh, obey. Let me give you an example. Mary Alice, I've been married for a lot of years. She is the love of my life. Do I come up short as a husband? Yeah, every day. But it's not my heart to do that. I want to be the best husband in the world for her. I fell, but it's my heart to do it. I, I, don't, I don't just say, you know, I can care less whether I make Mary Alice happy or not. It wouldn't make any sense for me to be her husband. And by the same token, if a person has the attitude, I don't care whether I obey Jesus or not, it's completely incongruous to say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We definitely haven't accepted him as Lord if a person were to say that. Now, I understand somebody could be listening today who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, and and that person could be pushing back saying, Mark, I don't understand. Where is the benefit? Where's the upside in saying no to following my path in order to obey somebody else, Jesus Christ? Hey, I'm the first to admit that's a fair question, and it deserves a fair answer. And, And here's the thing. If you were to walk away from this message and saying, this is where I check out, you need to understand You're going to have a lot of company because many do this. In fact, most do this. You remember a few moments ago where Jesus said the highway to hell is broad and lots of people travel that? You and I live in a nation that is in love with polls. I was thinking this morning, I think I'm going to quit calling them politicians and start calling them politicians. Because Americans are into polls. Put the finger up to the wind. Most people say this. Most people do this. More people think about coronavirus this than other things. Most people think about this. (laughs) Well, if, if that's how you gauge life, the majority is going to say doing your, doing your own thing is the right thing to do. It is, it is the academically intelligent choice. And a person may hear this message, as I said a few moments ago, and walk away. Because here's the thing. You need to know that happened to Jesus when he was on the earth. In John chapter 6, Jesus did something really interesting. He took a kid's sack lunch. And somehow he fed 20,000 people with it. You know, but here's the deal. If you spoke the world into existence, you don't have any problem with tortillas and fish. What's tortillas, you know? When I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, I'd hear the teacher talk about the kid with five loaves and two fish, and I'd think about loaves of bread like this, you know, like you get to the store, and I'd think, who in the world would pack five loaves of bread and two catfish for their kid? Yeah, they were tortillas. They were just little flat pieces of bread with some (laughs) spiced fish to give the bread some flavor. But anyway, Jesus took those five tortillas and two fish and he fed 20,000 people and a whole bunch of people said, we're with Jesus. I mean, this is lunch every day, free lunch. In fact, if you look at verse 34 in John chapter six, they, they spell it out. They said, sir, give us this bread every day of our lives. Hey, new spring heads up. This is where this gets serious with us. A lot of people are into Jesus as long as Jesus gives them everything they want. As long as Jesus doesn't cause them any discomfort. As long as Jesus' positions are politically correct. They're cool with Jesus like that. But notice something that happened in John chapter 6. After he fed the multitudes and the whole crowd started following and they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus started getting down real serious about what it meant to follow him. And look at this. From that time on, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and, heads up, New Spring, no longer followed him. They, They blocked him. They unfollowed him. I understand, and I was born at night, but not last night. I understand this obey thing could be a deal breaker. You know, it's interesting to me that when the Bible mentions our Lord, oftentimes it uses three words. And, and if you grew up in church like I did, these kind of roll off the tongue without us thinking about it. And that's Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times have we heard a preacher preach Lord Jesus Christ? And it just kind of like comes out as one word, but really it's three things. Jesus in Christ are, Jesus is a name, Christ is a title. Jesus means God is my savior. Christ, is the Aramaic word for Messiah. And then there's Lord. Messiah means future ruler who's gonna straighten everything out and make everything right. Jesus means he's my savior. Lord means he's boss. And here's the deal. You know, a lot of people are okay with the Savior and they're okay with the King who's going to come straighten everything out, but not okay with the boss. And they sort of sing the meatloaf song, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) But you can't have Jesus that way. He is all three. He is Lord. He is Jesus. And he is Christ. So as I say today, it could be a deal breaker, but could I just share something with you? I mean, would you just please hear me for a moment? And you can do with this whatever you want to do. I want to tell you why I obey Jesus, or at least why I want to obey him. Number one is personal. In the book of Colossians chapter one, the Bible says, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave all our sins. See, I was enrolled in the devil's kingdom. My attendance card was in his class. Every human being, according to the book of Ephesians chapter two, every human being was born into that kingdom because our parents sinned and we sinned too. And automatically, we had like an automatic enrollment into the devil's kingdom. And God could have let us all spin out into a black hole and taken us all to hell if he'd chosen, but God didn't want to leave it that way. So he sent his son in flesh, God in skin, and he lived among us for 33 years, ran the table, never did anything wrong. And then the way God looked at it, this marvelous trade could take place. My sins were placed on Jesus. His righteousness is placed on me. And the Bible says that when Jesus said, it is finished, I took my attendance card out of the kingdom of darkness and I walked down to the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ and handed him my attendance card and suddenly I'm transferred from the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says that. It's personal with me. It's personal. (laughs) Secondly, and I'm going to stay in Colossians chapter 1 for a moment, I obey Jesus because of who he is. You know, here's the thing. If you're going to obey someone, you better make sure they're a winner. I mean, who here has attached their life to a loser? I mean, you don't raise your hand, please. You, you could be sitting by him. But please don't raise your hand. If I'm going to attach my life to somebody, I'm going to attach my life to the winning side. Now, here's the thing. So many of us, and, and we hear, we, we've learned good things about Jesus that are true, but they're incomplete. You know, we're about to celebrate Christmas. And by the way, I have an incredible series. greatest thing I've ever been part of coming up. For Christmas called Jesus, exclamation point. We're just going to look at Jesus. Mm. You know, some people see Jesus as a baby in, in the manger, and that's good. We're going to celebrate that. Some people see Jesus as the suffering Savior on the cross. Others see him as the tender shepherd with the sheep around his neck. Those are good. Those are true. But I'll tell you, they're so inadequate. Because, see, here's the thing. What we see is we see the humble Jesus who came to the world to get us out of the kingdom of darkness. We need to take a look at the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. I just read Re- Colossians 1.13 that said he's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his dear son. Let me move to verse 15, because now Jesus is going to present you his calling card. The Bible says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, nobody's ever seen God. Jesus came and suddenly we have the visible image of the invisible God and people could touch God and hear God and children could sit in God's lap and we got to look at what God looks like. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. I love this verse. He made the things we can see and he made the things we can't can't see. In other words, the material world that we see he made, but oh my goodness, we've already seen in a previous series, there are millions and millions of angels. And the Bible says he made the thrones and the kingdoms and the rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, he existed before anything else. For those of you who love molecular biology, he holds all creation together for God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything, in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It makes sense for me to follow that person. If I'm going to obey somebody, I'm going to obey the person in charge. And he is in charge. By the way, when Jesus comes back, you know, everybody's in taking sides today. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take charge. I'm looking forward to that. I'm just telling you why I want to obey I want to obey because he loves me and he wants the best for me. I've been following Jesus since I was eight years old. And I'll tell you what, I've made a lot of mistakes when I didn't obey him. Every time I've ever obeyed Jesus, it was always for God's glory and my good. I've never, listen to me, I've never obeyed Jesus that it hurt me in the long run. Because here's the thing, and I don't have this in my sermon, but in First John, the Bible says his commands are not burdensome. You know, how many, and again, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been in a relationship with somebody who the stuff they wanted you to do, it was like carrying a heavy weight? Listen to what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because Jesus said, I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So I can't speak for anybody else today. I'm just telling you those are three reasons why I want to obey Jesus. So let's just say you're on board. You were on board before I started talking today. It is your heart to obey Jesus. So if you are a Jesus follower and you honestly say, even though you may, like me, fail all the time, it's my heart to obey. I obey. What do we need to know? Well, in the few moments of this message left, I want to share with you what I believe are the keys to obeying Jesus. And the first one's kind of heavy, so hold on to something tight. This is going to get in our grill a little bit. The commands of Jesus don't do us much good till we obey them. You know, Americans are in love with learning. And we almost have the feeling that if we've learned something, then we've accomplished something. Or we're in love with talking. It's like if we say something or we, we post something, we've actually accomplished something. Well, learning and speaking are important. They're but the thing about it is, learn, the way God looks at it, learning and speaking about what Jesus said don't mean anything until we do something with it. And I think there are a lot of people, I grew up in church, and here's the thing about growing up in religion, you can learn the talk pretty easy. And sometimes when we talk the talk, you know, we listen to Christian music, which is a great thing. We, we listen to messages and sermons and go to Bible studies. Those are wonderful things. There could almost be the feeling if I've done that, I've actually made progress. Now, again, don't get me wrong. Those things are important. But Jesus, this whole idea of it's okay if I learn something but don't do anything with it, Jesus popped that balloon. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Calling versus doing. He went on to say, I'll show you what it's like when someone listens to my teaching and follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But listen to this, New Spring. Anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation or on the sand. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins you know, when I was a kid growing up and I listened to preachers preach about that, I get the idea that, well, the guy who built his house on the rock, this is the God follower. He's a he's a he's a Christian, he goes to church. And the person whose house is on the sand, this is a person who has no interest in God, you know, has, has you know, doesn't go to church. Jesus said something different, didn't he? He said, the, the guy who built on the sand, he's a hearer. He goes to church. He may go to a Bible study. But he doesn't put anything into practice. And Jesus said, Look, when the sun is shining, his house may be just fine. But when trouble comes, it's not going to stand, it's going to collapse. You could be talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, I've been in church all my life, and I know all about truth. But here's the thing I can know about truth, but until I obey, nothing changes. My dad's been in heaven for seven years, and he was 89 when he passed. God gave him a rich, full life. He pastored the same church in Texas for 50 years, and then he came here and was our care pastor for 13 years. So I grew up listening to his preaching. And my dad used to tell stories that still resonate to me, with me to this day. And one of the illustrations he gave was about this very thing. I haven't heard him tell the story in over 40 years, but it's still with me. He talked about a person who had a serious fatal disease and went to the doctor, and it turned out that there was a medication that could knock out the illness pretty quickly. So the doctor examined him, diagnosed him, and wrote out a prescription and said, here, take this and get it filled. Take this prescription for a few days, this medication, and you'll start feeling better, and in a week or so, you'll be fine. So Dad told the story about a guy that got that prescription, and he walked out, and he was just amazed at what a wonderful doctor he had. He looked at that prescription and said, isn't this wonderful. I have the greatest doctor in the world who's written me out a prescription. that's going to save my life. And he said, this guy gets home and he goes, sees his next door neighbors and said, look, look at this prescription. I know you can't read it, but I have the greatest doctor in the world. And, and he's he, he's given me this prescription. And if I take this medication, I'm going to be okay. And then he said, this guy just keeps looking at that prescription and decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to the store and I'm going to get a picture frame and I'm going to frame this prescription and I'm going to hang it up on the wall. And every day I'm going to look at this prescription and think about what a wonderful doctor I have and what a great prescription this is dad said you know what's going to happen to the guy he's going to die because he don't doesn't feel the prescription and dad's illustration still works because that's happened in my life a lot of times i've heard what god had to say but i said no i got a better idea james puts it this way in james 1 verse 22 don't just listen to god's word you must do what it says otherwise you're only fooling yourself so, if I want to follow Jesus, I got to be honest with myself so that I don't fool myself. I got to say, it's not enough for me to learn something, I have to put it into practice. This next one's a little existential, but work with me because it, this is what Jesus said, and I'm accountable to preach what he said. This is where last week's message and this week's message is going to come together. Remember, last week was listen, now we're saying obey. But you know, the truth be told, how I listen. Really determines whether or not I 'm going to obey. this is Jesus' story In Bible days, farmers would like broadcast seed over soil, and of course the soil would fall in, the, the seed would fall in different kinds of soil and according to Jesus, some of the seed fell in, um, on hard walking path. the path had been trodden down and it was like concrete and Jesus said the seed would fall on it, bounce, and birds come swoop. Down, get the seed. Then he said some of the seed fell on um, rock that had a thin layer of soil on top. And, of course, the seed would get into the soil and sprout up quickly. But then when the sun came out, the plant would die. And then Jesus said some of the seed fell on what otherwise would have been good soil, but there were thorns. And when the plant came up, the thorns choked out the plant, and it never bore fruit. Then he said some of the seed fell on good soil and brought a crop. And disciples were like, what's that about? And Jesus said, well, the seed is the word of God. And the soils are the hearers. And he said, the, there, there are people that are just hard. You know, maybe they've heard it over and over, just like you've walked on path, you know, worn it. Some, even maybe listening today, somebody's like, yeah, what time? You know, the chiefs have already kicked off. And, and uh, I know they're playing the jets today, but, you know, football's football. <laughs> and, and what are we going to have for lunch? And like, okay. The the, the soil's hard, and the seed will bounce, and the devil will come. Jesus said the birds there represent the devil. Come and take it away, and Jesus said, the person will never be saved. And then he said, some of the seed falls on shallow earth. In other words, the first time a person hears this is cool, this is great, I want to check in, but all of a sudden you discover that God says some things that are politically incorrect in 2020, and it's like, I'm out. If that's what God says about sexuality, I'm out. Man, Jesus said, shallow soil, rock underneath. Nowhere. And then Jesus said, some of the seed falls on what would be good soil, but and here's what he called the thorns. He talked about the the stresses of life and the desire for stuff. Choke out. They're saved, but they never bear fruit. And then Jesus said, some falls on good soil. Now, Jesus is saying, look. How you hear is going to determine what you do with it. You know what? That's true for every husband here. I I was just applying Jesus' illustration to my marriage, and I thought about how I listen to Mary Ellen. If I listen with a hard heart, nothing's going to happen. You know, whatever she says to me is going to bounce off a hard heart. I hope that's never the case. And if I'm shallow and it's like, yeah, I kind of want to do it unless it gives me trouble and it gets in the way of things I want to watch on television, then it can sprout up quickly and dissipate quickly. And there are times I want to do something that would be a blessing to her, but I've just got so much stuff going on in my life that it chokes out the fruitfulness. But if I listen to her with an open heart, with a desire to do what's important to her, you understand what I mean. This makes sense. But it goes deeper than this. And as I said, this is a little bit existential, but I'm accountable to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said it this way. He said, knowledge will be measured out to you by the measure of attention you give. In other words, a lot of us will never really understand what God has in mind unless we pay attention to the part we've already gotten. And Jesus said, if you pay attention to the part you've already gotten, and it really matters to you. Jesus is like, I'm going to give you more. And I know we're out of time, but I got to tell you a story that maybe will f- explain this or help you understand. I came to New Spring 35, a little over 35 years ago, and I came in a transition. I was 28, and the previous pastor had been a mentor and a co- college professor of mine who had taken the church here. But he was, uh, he was up in years, and he was moving out as I was moving in. That was the whole idea. But i got to be honest, our church was small in those days, only about 350 in attendance. And one of the issues that I had when I first came here was, like, I would run out of work to do. And so I remember I'd only been here a week or two. One afternoon, I decided, I, I'm from Texas. I don't know Kansas very well. I'm just going to get in my car. We, we were at Hillside in Mount Vernon, the, the old building. And I went about a mile south of there in the neighborhood, and I just started walking up down the street talking to people. Started telling them about the church, telling them about Jesus. I remember that day very clearly. I remember ringing the doorbell of a guy who was an old guy. He's about the age I am now. It's amazing who's old when you're, eight, you're 28 <laughs> and who's old now to me anyway, a guy about my age answered the door, and he, he invited me in. And I, I looked at his coffee table. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, the, the, the top of the coffee table was about oh, maybe two, three inches thick, and it was all acrylic. It was all clear acrylic. And molded into that coffee table were like rocks that had been cut in half. I mean, the outer part of the rock was ugly, but the inner rock, of course, was magnificent geological display of God's greatness. And I said to him, I, that's beautiful. I've never seen anything like that. He said, do you like it? I said, well, yeah. I mean, I thought to myself, I just told you I did. (laughs) He said, "Uh, let me ask you one more time. Do you like it? I said, yeah. Then he said, I mean, do you really like it? And I thought, I like it, I like it. I said, yes, it's magnificent. He said, come with me. And he took me back to his den. And when I walked into the den, everything in the room was acrylic with rocks in it. The coffee table, the lamp tables, the lamp shades. I never saw anything like that before, and I haven't seen anything like that since. But do you understand the point that he was saying to me? Do you really like it? Is it something you really want? Come on back, and I'll show you a lot more. And that's how Jesus is. You know what? If you're just trying to get Jesus on your way to Dylan's, he may not give you a whole lot. But if you, lo- if you like what you hear and it's like, Lord, I'd like to hear a lot more of Jesus. Like, do you really like it? Well, come on back to the back room. Come on back to the den. Number three, I got two more to give you in two minutes, okay? Maybe three, four, five minutes. Obeying Jesus is more about attitude than rules. I I don't want to put words in the mouth of the Almighty, but I'll tell you what I believe is I know the word of God. Jesus can have an easier time with somebody who's failing a lot, who has a heart to obey him, than somebody who's checking all the boxes, who has a rebellious heart. It's more about attitude than rules. Rules are important. There's one of my favorite stories that Jesus told I don't think I preach from it very much, but Jesus said, uh, what do you think about this? He said, a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in my vineyard today. His son replied, I don't want to. <laughs> but later he changed his mind and went. Now that's the new spring story. <laughs> that's why most of us are here. You know, we told God no at first and then thought better of it and maybe made some mistakes. And we came to this church because it was a church where it wasn't traditional religion and it was safe to... Yeah, I was the one who told God no, but now I'm telling him yes. And Now Jesus talks about the sort of traditional religion thing. The father went to the other son and told him the same thing. He replied, I will, sir. But then he didn't go. And Jesus said, which of the two sons did what the father wanted? I just want us to know today it's more about attitude than it is about rules. And I'll close with this. Have you noticed that in this sermon I haven't given you any of the commands of Jesus? Because of what we just covered, I believe if you want to obey him, you'll search the word of God to know what he has to say. But I'm going to talk to a lot of Jesus followers right now because I'm guessing that every person here knows a command of Jesus that you're having a little hard time with. I mean, some of the commands of Jesus I'm cool with. I mean, they're real easy, you know. And then others of us, because of life situations, we could be struggling with the command of Jesus. We know what he says, we're just struggling with. By the way, have you ever noticed how many of Jesus' commands are iron, they're ironies? The way up is down. The way to receive is to give. If you want to be first, be last. You know, If you want to be important, serve. Well, I'm guessing that all of us are working with some. Who's not struggling with love your enemies and do good for them and pray for those who use you? I'm just going to tell you the honest truth today and not back away from this for a second. We live in an upside down world. And so in an upside down world, the problem is the, the world thinks it's right side up. So consequently, when Jesus comes along and speaks into our upside down world, we think he's upside down. And even those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, we sort of learn the way the world works. And so consequently, we get acclimatized to the upside-downness of this world. And then Jesus comes along and talks to us, and he seems upside down. I don't think Peter had known Jesus very long. I'm just sort of guessing by the story. He'd known him a short time. He knew Jesus, knew he was, had some interaction with him. But at this point, Peter's still, he's still got a fishing business. And Peter and some of his buddies are, you know, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we say the Sea of Galilee, but it's just a lake. Really, it's a lake. And Peter and his buddies have their boats that are off the shore, and they're cleaning their nets and getting getting ready. But now Jesus is standing there on on the bank, and a crowd is coming to hear him teach and you you ever have like a crowd surround you and they're just sort of like backing you up a little bit, you know, they're just getting bigger and bigger and coming your way. Uh, Mariel and I were there last year and and if you could see this place, you would understand it exactly how it happened because it's like the, you know, it just, it's like, it's a lake. It's like the shore goes right into the water. So Jesus getting backed up a little bit and all of a sudden his heel hits water and he sees Peter over there and he said, Peter, I need a favor. I want to borrow your boat. Just just anchor your boat here right off the shore. I'm, I'm going to climb into your boat, and I'm going to teach from your boat. And he did. It was a great thing. So after the crowd leaves, <laughs> Jesus said, Peter, I want to do you a favor. You, you did me a favor. You loaned me your boat. I want to do something for you. And, and Jesus said, here's, here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to take the boat out, launch out, and we're going to go out. And we're going to go fishing, and you're going to catch a bunch of fish. Now, as I said, you and I live in an upside-down world that thinks it's right-side-up. And when Jesus speaks into our upside-down world, we think he's upside-down. Now, that's what Peter was working through right there. I mean, let me ask you a question. This is, this is a quiz. I should have told you there's going to be a quiz on this. What were they doing? They were cleaning their nets. What did Jesus say? Take the boat out, drop the nets in the water, you're going to catch a bunch of fish. Peter instantly had with that. First of all, Lord, we just got the nets clean. Simon answered and said, Master, we have toyed all the night and didn't catch anything. But Peter was like, Jesus, <laughs> I know you know this religion stuff, but I know fishing. I've been doing this all my life. My daddy taught me. I'm here with my brother and our partners. We know about fishing. And it's not the right time. You fish at night. We, not only that, we fished at the right time and didn't catch anything. And now you want me to go out at the wrong time of day. You don't know anything about fishing. And you want me to get my nets wet again. Now, I want to show you the key to obeying Jesus because Peter's going to take us right to ground zero. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all the night and caught nothing. And I think these are some of the most beautiful words of the Bible. Nevertheless, at your word, I will... I don't know that I could ever say anything more powerful about obeying Jesus than that. In an upside down world that thinks it's right side up and Jesus comes and speaks into it and the world thinks he's upside down, you and I are used to that upside down world and Jesus comes along and he speaks into us and we're saying, Lord, that doesn't make any sense in 2020. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. That's what it means to obey Jesus. And by the way, They caught so many fish, their net was breaking. They didn't have to worry about cleaning it anyway. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.